your eyes for the reading of God's word. Matthew 10, 24 through 39. <laughs> I'm doing the first part, obviously. All right. Um, the student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebel, how much more are the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who killed the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be a member of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Thanks be to God. Good morning. It is, this service is going fast. I thought this was going to be the longest service ever, and we're actually moving through. We're doing all right. Um, before I start, I also want to give my personal honor to my good friend, Angie. Uh, I spent three years of divinity school at study tables with Angie, and we've been through many ups and downs together. We, we've been through a lot. So, I, you know, how there's something kind of moving about when you, you transition seasons and you go to a new context and you have friends or people you love and they get to see you in a new context, or vice versa, you see them in their new context. And it's kind of, I don't know, it's like, it's delightful. So, Angie, I love you. I'm so glad you're here. And just as a worship leader, you are so gifted, and we love you. So, thanks for being here. Um, having said that, will you pray with me? Holy God, we come how we come. <laughs> Weary, tired, excited, energetic, apathetic, anxious, disillusioned, expectant to hear from you, can't hear you at all, tired, confused, angry. And so my prayer this morning is that we might have the peace to be present, just to be present, and trust that if you're willing and able, that you will meet us here in the present. Not in the past, not in the future, but right here, right now. And God, I speak personally that I am desperate to hear from you on this day. I need a word from you on this day. How would the words of my mouth and with the meditations of all of our hearts here this morning, would they be present and would they be pleasing in your sight, God? You are my rock. 
and you are my redeemer. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life will somehow find it. For my sake, they will find their life if they lose it. Um, just real quick, a show of hands, if you've heard this text, or you've heard it preached, or you were in youth group once, would you raise your hand? That's, that's sort of what I figured. So I just want to name real quick that we've probably, most of us, heard this text before. And for a lot of people, it raises some discomfort. I was talking to a bunch of friends this whole entire week, and even just talking about some of these verses, especially the last two verses, it brings up some unease. And it brings up some discomfort. And I just want to name real quickly that um, there's this weird way in which some of the most beautiful texts often get weaponized for the worst and most destructive of ways, right? And I think this is one of them. So I just want to say that this text has often been used in a spiritually abusive way um, that's been sort of a justification for unpaid labor or for you to maybe take up less space or for you to stay small or to stay quiet. And taking up your cross was just a kind of Christian-wrapped way of saying, your needs don't matter. And so I just want to name that out the outset. That's that's not what we're going to do today. We're not going to do that. And perhaps can we do something different with the text? Hmm? Can we do something different? Can it be a vehicle not for suppression or fear or trying to get certainty? But can it be something beautiful? Can it be something truly transformative? Can it be something delightful? Can it be something, maybe as Paul puts it, can it be a more excellent way, the way of love? Amen. So I just want to name that at the outset. Um, So there's a lot in this text. We've got a lot to get through. But I want to zone in really on those last two verses. And I want to speak today from the title that really is a question. And this is the question, have you found, have you found really what you're looking for? Have you found what it is you are looking for? So we meet Jesus in the middle of this long monologue, as he often does. And he's saying all these wild things that on the surface don't seem to relate to each other. Don't fear. Okay, but then fear. But really, okay, for real, don't fear. Um, Things will come out. The things that are in darkness will come to light. The things that I'm whispered to you, shot it from the rooftop. Something about, I didn't come for peace, I came for a sword. What? I thought you were the Prince of Peace. And then Jesus concludes by saying these words that might just be the most foundational and decisive summaries of Jesus' teaching. And in fact, I don't know, it's kind of nerding out. This phrase is, occurs six times in the Gospels. And if you're a math major, you know that there's, so there's four Gospels, and if it occurs six times, that means that not only is this passage repeated by all four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, but that two of the four think it's so important that they repeat it twice. And I, ca- I could not find any other phrase or statement in the Bible where a single author repeats it twice and it's in all four of the Gospels. Something to the effect of those who lose their life, those who try to save their life, those who try to preserve their life will lose it and those who lose it will find it. Six times in the Gospels. So the point seems to be pretty clear that this is sort of central to Jesus' teaching. And it's this teaching in the final sentence that might be the closest summary about the meaning of life that we have available to us. 
But here's, there's, there's just one problem. It makes absolutely no sense. If you find it, you lose it. And if you lose it, you find it. And so as Jesus always does, he's kind of nudging us towards a truth that is not just conflictual and not just confusing, but it's outright contradictory. And it's outright paradoxical to all the ways that we understand how to live. And it's, and it's outright contradictory to all the ways that we know how to be, all the ways we know how to think. And it's the most central statement, and it flies in the face of every single dominant narrative of every single dominant culture across all time and space. So I just want to think for a second about the narratives that we normally consume and that are given to us by our dominant culture about how life is found. Let's just take some of the premises about how we say life is found. Right, so if you go to, I bet some of you like books here, kind of, you guys are a nerdy group. Uh, so if you go to a bookstore, you cannot go two feet without bumping into the display section right in the middle of the front, and you will find scores and scores of books that are all about what? Self-discovery, self-improvement. Here's the true path to your true fulfillment. Here's how you get your, your true and ultimate sense of purpose. And right, and so like you can't go anywhere. And there's this idea of float, and it's just almost ubiquitous in our culture, where you can be this self-contained, self-sufficient, self-involved, always self-improving person, and that in, in attaining that and finding that and discovering that, you will find your true sense of self. And that that will truly make you happy. And that this is what your best life will be, right? My generation, we love the language of best life. I use it all the time. I'm like, I'm just trying to live my best life. Right, but for real, what does that mean? Like, for real, what does that mean? I don't know. I just say it. But this is everywhere. Tell me you haven't been in a conversation in the last couple years where someone, or maybe you, you don't have to say it to you, says something along the lines of, I'm just on the journey. I'm on the journey to find myself. I'm just on the journey to sort of discover my my true identity and what really just makes me happy. And I'm trying to live the good life and I'm trying to, I'm just trying to figure out my best life. And even, 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 y'all can just stay with me on this one. Even the language and the industry really of self-care. So please, let's just take a deep breath and sit with the tension of me. I'm not saying that self-care is bad. Obviously, self-care is both important and necessary and in fact, liberatory and revolutionary, particularly for folks for whom the world is anything but caring and for whom the world is anything but comfortable. Right, so I'm not saying if this is you, if you are a woman, if you are a black person, if you are a black woman particularly, or if you're a queer person, or if your identity intersects a bunch of these, I'm not saying self-care is not central to something that will sustain you. Sustain you, keyword. It will sustain you. And yet, however, However, this is a big however. I truly am not convinced that these things will ultimately lead, all your self-care practices will ultimately lead um, to a life of fulfillment and finding your deepest sense of belonging, goodness, beauty, life, kinship, safety. I think they can sustain you. These practices might sustain you and they can sort of keep you alive. And that, that's sort of the difference. I think we get mixed up on this because, because our world is so unlivable and unsustainable, we confuse survival tactics with like thriving tactics. And they are not the same. 
there's a lot of things that will keep us alive. You scheduling your, your weekly massage for the next 10 years. If you, in 10 years, you come to me and you tell me that, that those massages really did help me along the path to find my true sense of purpose. I will listen. I'll be like, bet, I was wrong. And yet, see, those things can sustain you maybe, but they will not lead you to finding your true sense of self, your true desires. So maybe it's manicures for you. Or maybe it's your retail therapy. Or maybe it's actual therapy, which of course is instrumental and so important. Maybe it's vacations. Maybe it's smoking weed. Maybe it's binging Netflix. Or maybe it's eating tater tots at 2 a.m. watching Netflix. They're fine. Great outlets. Cool. Good outlets. They will help you survive under unsustainable conditions that we live in. But if you think that these things will truly lead to you living a life and finding where the depths of your soul really want to be, you are mistaken. You are mistaken. I know that's hard. But that's a tension we have to hold. So all of that striving, all of those practices that supposedly help you discover your true self, all of that hard work to find upward mobility, all of that striving to find comfort, all of that work to achieve validation with a group of people you don't even like that much, all of those wonderful books to self-improve, all of those lectures, all of those weekly practices of self-care, all of that meticulous work you do to curate your image. Or here's my version, because I'm not not preaching at you, I'm preaching myself too. All of those ways, Benjamin, that you are trying to find meaning and fulfillment in admirable achievements. I'm an Enneagram 3. Benjamin, all the searching you do for meaning and purpose And then you pretend that your spiritual formation is just like a side mission. As if you can really find yourself on one one parallel path and then somehow find God on a different path. Really? And before you know it, we get to the end of a day or we get to the end of a month or we get to the end of a year or sadly we get to the end of a decade and honestly, truthfully, for most of us, we get to the end of a lifetime. And then the question wells up from the bottom of our souls. Have you found what you were looking for? Have you really found what you were after? Did you find that sense of purpose? The joy that you were after? Did you find contentment, really? Did you find kinship? Did you find belonging? Did you discover the abiding peace you were after? The safety? And if you're anything like me, you kind of have to, it's almost a whisper to myself if I'm telling the truth, and I'm like, no, I didn't. I got glimpses, and I had foretastes. I saw little bits and pieces of it. But overall, no, I didn't. And so it seems to me like this is what Jesus is trying to get us to see. That if you try to find and you try to save and you try to grasp and you try to preserve, you lose it. You lose it. And so instead, Jesus seems to be inviting his disciples down a different path. And it is an unexpected journey. And it's one that stands in contrast, as I said, to every single narrative of every single dominant culture ever. Necessarily, it does. 
And it's not the road towards striving. It's not the road towards self-mastery. And it's not the road towards self-help. And it's not the road towards comfort. And it's not the road to the top. And it's not a road upward. And it's not a road towards self-sufficient competency. If you think those things will take you to the spiritual place that you want to be at, you're mistaken. So the paradoxical invitation comes in the second half of that last statement. How do we find life by losing it? What the heck? (laughs) Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Lose my life. How does one lose their life? Is that supposed to be literal? Is that poetic? Is that cute? And this is where actually the rest of the passage starts to take on a deeper meaning. You're probably wondering, like, why, why haven't you talked about the rest of the passage? <laughs> We're zoning in on the last two verses. But think about it. Losing your life in the context of everything that Jesus had said before this. Do not be afraid. The truth's going to come out. Right, you'll be in the dark. You will be in the dark on this path. On this journey, you will be in the dark. But you'll hear from me. And in fact, I want you to speak what you hear from me in the dark, in the daylight. And it will be quiet, but you'll hear a whisper from me. And I want you to proclaim what you hear from a whisper from the rooftops. And so again, don't fear. Okay, but also do fear. Fear the one who can kill both the body and the soul. And then yet again, right after that, it's like a fear, don't fear, fear sandwich. Do not fear. Take comfort. If I take care of the sparrows, and the sparrows are worth pocket change, that's my translation. How much more do you think I'm going to take care of you? I take care of two sparrows for pocket change. I will take care of you. So the invitation to lose your life is not about just embracing suffering unjustly. And it is not about passively accepting injustice. And it's not about glorifying or romanticizing death or suffering. No, like that's kind of gross if we really sit with that. Like that too many people suffer all the time. Too many folks have died. That's not what we're after. It is, however, please see the caveat and hold the tension here. It is, however, an invitation to be so wide open to a life marked by love that you are now unwilling to avoid the suffering that will come because you love so deeply. You see that there's a difference there. We don't actually want suffering for suffering's sake, that's kind of gross and weird and offensive and grotesque. And yet, at the same time, we kind of prepare ourselves in a way of losing our life where we're, we gear up that the life that we want to live is a life so wide open to loving everybody and everything that we know that that will garner some wounds and some suffering along the way. It is to refuse to avoid suffering that will inevitably come your way when you love deeply. So it's not about having a martyr complex. And this is not about disregarding healthy boundaries. Dang it. (laughs) It's not. Keep your healthy boundaries. No. This is about seeing there is but one universal path, I believe. One universal path open to all people. 
that leads to life and it is a road to surrender. And it is a road to letting go. Right? So many of the mystics talk about it in the sense they're like, you get to a point you realize all spirituality and all trust in God and all faith really is about letting go. I know that's so counterintuitive. I, I like never fully internalize that. So. But it is. And it's a road there's going to be a lot of trials and a lot of tribulations. And it's a road that's also going to be divisive. And it's going to cut through a lot of your flimsy convictions like a sword. It's not about violence. Please don't read Jesus bringing the sword as violence. And your family might not like it. It'll cause division there. Your, your friends might not understand it. Your partner might think you're crazy and leave you or something. I don't know. And you will 100% have to lose the life that you were hoping for. You will 100% have to lose the life you thought you wanted and the one you hoped for. But can I tell you something that really is good news? Which is another word to me for comforting. That there is one who makes this journey to the bottom with you. And in fact, he, he makes the journey before you. And he illumines the way. And if you recall Jesus' journey, and if you recall the idea of taking up your cross, it was a journey that he took because he loved so deeply, not because he cared about having to die or needing to die. Jesus was about life. And yet because he loved so deeply and he was filled with so much compassion that he refused to avoid the cross. And in a life fully surrendered, fully given away, and a life fully lost, Jesus reveals the one true journey to finding what we're after. Do you remember that opening question? Have you found what you're after? Life and life abundant. And so we don't take the road because it's some cute poetic idea or it's philosophically interesting or because it sounds subversive and we just want to be subversive. No, the road we take is the one we take because it's the one Jesus takes. We're not trying to be edgy. It's a, it's a posture, it's a way of being, it's a way of sinking into the downward path where we're like, I, I have no control if I'm honest. And I have no certainty about my life, if I'm honest. I have no control, I surrender. <laughs> and I let go of the illusion that I can find purpose, meaning, belonging, kinship, passion, apart from you and apart from this journey that you took. We're mistaken. And so this is sort of a reframe that, I don't know, I was debating if I wanted to say this, but I'm going to say it. I think what I hear in that, that if you try to find your life, you lose it. And if you lose your life for God's sake, you find it. I think that's a way of saying you cannot find true life. It kind of, it finds you. You cannot find Life everlasting. Everlasting life will find you. It will fall on you as you have a posture of this. 
as you let go, as you surrender. I mean, I'm not just, this is not, I'm not trying to be deep or anything, but think and excavate your own experience for just a second. In the moments and the times where you have felt the most alive, was that something that you got to by striving for it and looking for it and searching and searching and searching and then, aha, there it was. I got that, that deep feeling of the glimpse of the something else that's possible. Was it that, really? Did you really strive for it and achieve it? No way. It was probably around a table with some people and there was probably some food or something or there was probably some music and there was probably some laughter and it was probably intergenerational. It was probably diverse. And all of a sudden, it just fell on you. And it just hit you. And life found you. And joy found you. And a peace that surpasses all understanding found you. Find your life. You will lose it. You'll find that there's nothing to find. And if you lose yourself, if you surrender yourself to the downward path, I'm calling it, it'll find you. And so, I think elsewhere, Jesus talks about this in many different ways, but the one I want to close with today is the idea of the narrow path. I think for probably 85, 90% of us, we heard the narrow path as, oh, this is the exclusive club of people who, if you somehow, by your own power, if you find the narrow path, you get to go to some afterlife where there's clouds and a cool, shiny gate. And it's exclusive, and most people won't ever get there, and then they have to go burn in some lake of fire or something. What? Who cares? What if? What if the narrow path was a way of being now? What if it was a path to find now? What if it wasn't about some exclusive afterlife that you get to go to? Don't you want life now? <laughs> Don't you want peace? Don't you want to be a non-anxious, grounded, rooted presence now? Don't you want to be a comp a, an embodiment of compassion now? The narrow path. If you find it, but it leads to what Jesus says. Leads to life. Life not for the future. I mean for the future too, but life primarily for now. And so the narrow road. Have you found what you're looking for? What will it look like for you to take a step on the narrow path that leads to life? This is not about being in or out of some exclusive heaven. This is about taking the downward path that leads to life the upside-down journey. And it's a journey we make in pursuit of the one who charts the path. And that's why I think take up your cross and follow me is now in a different way so profound. It's not about glorifying suffering. It's about in a weird, mysterious way Love opens you up to all possibilities 
including persecution and including deaths of many kinds. And in the midst of it, you may end on a cross. There was one, actually, I don't mean to say this, but there's one, he was kind of a rebel in the Catholic Church. And don't take this out of context, but he said something that kind of applies. He was like, if you're a Christ follower, you better look good on wood. But in a way, in realizing the narrow path that leads to life is exactly the one we don't really want. And yet it's the one where you can answer that question finally, after decades or after months or after years. Have you found what you're looking for? My soul wants to say, yeah. Glimpses, foretastes, and also I'm on that narrow path that leads to life. It's scary, it's divisive. It cuts through our convictions like a sword. Take the path anyway. Amen. I'm going to pray and then we're going to do communion today because Angie and I are liturgical and we like communion. <laughs> and because it's profound to do communion, that too. So I'm going to pray and then I'm going to invite you. You can come up. Uh, come up however you want to come up. There's bread here and there's bread there. Take it back to your seat and then we will partake together and I'll lead us through that. But would you pray with me? God, I think if if we are honest, that question confronts me daily and nightly. Benjamin, have you found what you're really looking for? For abundant life, for abiding peace, for kinship with others in the world, for joy that can't be stained, And then I'm confronted by all the ways that I strive to search and self-discover and be self-sufficient and grasp all of these things that I'm looking for and all of these things that I will be looking for for the rest of my life. So God, I thank you for this passage that seems to fly in the face of everything everywhere. As you say, if you try to find it, you won't. So God, in this day, I ask that you would give us the courage to trust you, to relinquish control, and to rest in that mysterious, upside-down truth that the best things are already prepared for us. We cannot go and grasp them. They are yet prepared for us. The life we desire most is alive and yet waiting in you. to teach us the true meaning, not the oppressive or the suppressive meaning of taking up our cross, not as a way of making us small or making us voiceless, but actually the opposite in a way that we're so empowered and compelled by love that we will not go around suffering, but we'll go right through it. 
Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to come forward and grab it, head back to your seat. Church, beloved, what are we doing in communion? If not this, partaking in the one in whom a life lost is a life found. Just to square it with the text we're in. We are partaking of the one in whom a life lost is in some mysterious way for all of us a life found and a life received. We don't have to go out and find it. It's already prepared for us. So on the night that Jesus gave of himself, lost of himself, he took bread and he gave thanks. He gave thanks. And he broke the bread and he gave it to the people who were following him. And he said, take and eat for this is my body which has been given, which has been lost for you. Beloved, take and eat. And then he took the cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Friends, blood spilled out, a life lost for a life found. Take and drink. Amen and amen. Friends, whatever posture to receive and to be sent, would you put yourself in that position? Church, I really do hope that you find what it is you are after. A peace that endureth. And so may you go, giving of your whole life to everybody and to everything. Knowing that it is a downward journey of surrender that you might find everything you are after so go giving everything and go in peace in the name of Jesus amen